Hello and welcome to Runway Girl Network in Conversation, a deep dive into aviation and the passenger experience. I'm RGN Deputy Editor John Walton, and today I'm in conversation with Isaac Alexander, a freelance aerospace writer out of Seattle who you may know online as Jet City Star. Today we're talking about the Mitsubishi Space Jet, named Mitsubishi Regional Jet, and which I'm almost sure one of us will refer to as the MRJ at some point in the next half hour. But first, thanks to our sponsor. In Conversation is brought to you by Boltron, a Simona company, purveyor of high-performance thermoplastics for tomorrow's aircraft interiors. Next time you settle into your seat on an airplane and pull the window shade closed, consider the colour, thinness and opacity of that material, designed precisely to keep the sunlight out so you can rest. That's Boltron. Learn more at B-O-L-T-A-R-O-N dot com. Now, Isaac, welcome to In Conversation. Thank you, John. Happy to be here. So, the Mitsubishi Space Jet. It's the new version of the Mitsubishi Regional Jet, a new name for a slightly new aircraft. How long has this program been going on, Isaac? And uh, what are some of the key things that have happened since its inception? Well, you could say uh, this is program was kicked off in 2008 at the Farnborough Air Show that year. And you could say it started even before that type of thing with uh, with two companies in particular, Mitsubishi and as well as Pratt Whitney. Because in the times of 2005, Pratt Whitney was almost out of the engine game and they had to roll the dice in order to get back, you know, in a big way into it because uh, they pulled out of the 787 program as well as they didn't get anything with the A350 program. So they came up with a pure power, uh, pure power engine or, or the gear turbofan engine. And Mitsubishi was the first customer client for that. And then later uh, the Bombardier picked it up for the C-Series and then thus Airbus picked it up as well. So you, you could say the Mitsubishi, you could say in a way that Mitsubishi has kicked off this recent run, if you will, and stuff of the entire air, uh, aircraft industry here in the last de- you know decade or so for things. Um, they kicked off the program in 2008. Uh, they ha- subsequently have had delays, <laughs> uh, five major delays uh, that have come from uh, 2010, 2013, uh, right around 2015, and the last one was around 2017 when they finally. Uh, when Mitsubishi finally hired somebody in the leadership position that formerly worked uh, uh, for an aircraft manufacturer, being Alex Bellamy, and they com- did a complete audit of the program, and thus they found uh, one of the major things that they had found uh, problems with the aircraft for the le- for the fifth uh, time delay was that some of the safety systems. Uh, you have in aircraft, you have all the redundancies and stuff. So if one thing goes down, you you have three backups. Well, unfortunately, some of the redundancies were all ca- uh, put together in kind of the same compartment for things. And that was a major no-no, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, for, for being able to be safely to operate. So they reset the aircraft. And then the um, first flight of the aircraft was back in 2015 uh, in Japan. And the uh, initially it was four, um, four aircraft have been produced and then flown over here. I myself was able to see the first First one arrived here in September at their uh, test, fest, test flight facility in uh, Moses Lake, Washington. And then I was there to uh, see the fourth one arrived in March of 2017 later. You know, so about an eight-month gap to get all the four jets here that have been testing since then uh, to go for certification. Um, earlier this year, uh, they finally got this, the type sort of uh, – they finally got the arrangement right with the, the new safety um, – Safety wiring and uh, and and strengthening and stuff at the fuselage so that the MRJ90 
uh, now called the M M90 space uh, space jet, uh, can begin begin its FAA certification, uh, so that it can finally in twenty in the summer of next year, 2020, be delivered to ANA, and finally. A, uh, let's see, this will be 10, so a, literally an, a 12-year odyssey to get a, a regional jet into into service will finally come to pass. Right, and, you know, it has been an odyssey, and, of course, that's kind of been the point. I mean, I think it's important to, to realise that Japan has, for many years, been a major sub-supplier to other aerospace companies, um, whether that's building significant parts of the 777 and 787. Um, it also operates, you know, it has, has a number of sub-suppliers um, to, to the Airbus market. Um, but what they haven't had for many years is a modern passenger transport aircraft. And as we all know, creating a modern passenger transport aircraft is about the most complicated thing that humans have ever done. Um, to get one that is that is as safe as it is that can be produced in the numbers that they are um, it's it's an incredibly complex thing to do and so Japan um, being a um, uh, uh, how to explain the, the Japanese corporate society very click very quickly um, there are concepts of uh, zaibatsu which are very large Japanese corporations which are not entirely government directed but sort of government directed um, and there's been a huge push to to maximize Japan's uh, aviation industry. And so all of this learning that they've had out of all of these programs, um, well, out of all of this, this, these, these problems with this particular program in, especially, um, has, has been in the aim of creating an aviation industry, an aircraft industry, producing individual aircraft within Japan. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's the, that's largely the reason why it's late. Now, they've also had some problems around their... Um, their marketing and their choice of size for this aircraft, haven't they? So we originally had two aircraft, the MRJ-70 and the MRJ-90. Isaac, what, what did those look like when they when they were born? Um, looking at the, uh, the, the pamphlets here that I was found at 70, uh, we'll, we'll go first with the MRJ-90, was a 90, 92 uh, single-class configuration, and then the MRJ-70 was a 78 uh, 78 single class configuration and uh, for if you had first if you wanted to have a two class configuration went down to 79 uh, went down to 69 for the MRJ 70 and then for the MRJ 90 I believe it went down to 78 for a two class two class and I forget what the three class is I don't have that here and stuff so it was very different so from that standpoint uh, but you know from the for being inside the air I, I have not yet been in one of their mock-ups uh for that but you know still going by the photos that i've seen uh you can have you know a good six foot or taller person standing there in the regional jet not have to duck or anything um so it's a two you know it's a two two uh configuration going down it looks very nice and spacious um but uh yeah it, the, <laughs> what they've had problems with is just the overall weight of the aircraft is being the uh, main hiccup Right, exactly. And look, I've been one of those people who've been crawling over that mock-up ever since it, well, the first mock-up, and now we have the second mock-up. Um, yes. Ever since they started showing that at the air shows, it's been, you know, I've, was been, I've been really impressed. I mean, the, the last one was getting on a bit in sort of look and feel and, and the whole general aesthetics, as you might expect yes. from a program that has been as delayed as it has been. Um, but the, 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 the new one is great, these new Saffron um, pivot bins, which are part of the ECOS family. I wrote a piece on RGN about that Um uh, very recently, in fact. Yes. Um, the new cabins are fantastic. And this 2-2 configuration is great. 
the big bins that disappear up into the ceiling. Um, these are nice wide seats, so the sort of 18-inch wide seat. This is much more cl closer to your sort of Embraer E195, E175 kind of experience than it is to a sort of Bombardier regional jet. Or, or should we say now the Canada regional jet also owned by Mitsubishi? You know, five years ago, would you have thought that Bombardier would sell off three different air, you know, three different kind of lines of aircraft to three different manufacturers. It's just unreal, you know, and the Mitsubishi just picking up the CRJ line uh, this year. Uh, it is just unreal and stuff how much the industry has changed in that regard. Um, also with, you know, as we spoke about the delay, you know, it's been, 12, you know, it's been 11 years now since the start of it. And I am really, you know, surprised and, and kudos to Mitsubishi for being able to keep the supply chain to, to build the aircraft that they still have. I, I assume, and so Safran could have walked away from this program, you know, with, with you know, with, the, with some of the delays they've had, but uh, they stuck with it. And uh, from what you, you wrote about, uh, you know, and took pictures of and experienced in, uh, in Paris, it looks like a pretty dang good product that they finally have on the market. Yeah, it really is. And I mean, it's it's kind of been this this interesting coincidence in terms of being a sweet spot. Um, you know, you've got this, uh, Saffron is moving to move this uh, Ecos family of cabins, right, with this sort of new architecture pivot bin. Um, they're moving that outside of the sort of larger narrow bodies where it was originally created, like the A320. So they've been showing stuff on the uh, Embraer E-Jet family, um, they're also the ones behind the atmosphere cabin for Bombardier, even though the architecture is somewhat different because of the sort of narrower, uh, the, the narrow tube, really. Um, right. So that will also, of course, be now in the in in, in a in, in the stable at Mitsubishi. Um, and yeah, I mean, what I find interesting is that even if the CRJ is solely an acquihire for staff and for customer relationships. And also kind of to make a lawsuit go away. <laughs> there was, of course, that, that whole thing with the, um, the slight controversy about whether or not um, the people who uh, Mitsubishi had hired away from Bombardier had brought anything um, uh, rather vital with them um, that perhaps they shouldn't have done. But now that, of course, just disappears at this point because they bought the program instead. Um, to, to bring us back to this issue of weight. So we had... Obviously, for our non-US listeners who might not be familiar with the scope clause, that limits the number of passengers and maximum takeoff weight of aircraft that are operated as express or connection carriers for the major airlines. So, for example, American Eagle, Delta Connection, United Express, uh, Horizon for Alaska, and so on. Those are very specific requirements. And the MRJ, very interestingly, didn't hit that sweet spot. Um, with the MRJ-70, nor indeed did it hit the sort of 100-seat passenger flight attendant limit sweet spot for the rest of the world where, uh, you know, you, you can fit 100 people on an aircraft and that's two flight attendants and you're fine. Um, so now, of course, we have something that looks rather different, don't we? We have the uh, M70 and M90, um, which are, yeah, a, a little... A little interesting in terms of sizing. Isaac, can you can you walk us through that? Um, well, the major changes, uh, there wasn't too many external changes and stuff to the M90 and stuff, which is what the first aircraft will be delivered to ANA and JAL and stuff later the next year. And kind of a personal, I just want to say a, kind of a personal note of pride is the reason why the it is so important for the deadline to be met next summer 
is because what world event is taking place next summer, John? Will that be the Olympic Games in Tokyo in 2020? The company desperately wants that aircraft to fly over the the opening or the closing ceremonies for that. It is a very, very much a prideful thing that they want to do. Um, I talked to some of the Mitsubishi uh, leadership here in Seattle for an event at the consulate uh, at their consulate general and stuff or, uh, last month before the Paris Air Show. And yes, that is definitely in their thinking that they want to do that. And so I, I just want they they have their own clock and they they are going to make sure and stuff come hell or high water that they make that. Uh, they make that deadline and stuff for things. But uh, getting back to the size of the aircraft uh, changes, um, the most notable changes right now externally is to the MR, uh, formerly the MRJ-70, now the M100, is that they're going to be adjusting the wing and they're going to be expanding the uh, the, the uh, by, by two feet, the actual fuselage of the aircraft. And they're going to be able to do that with that, with, uh, they just worked a deal with Triumph uh, on the aerostructures part to, uh, expand it to be able to expand it and not have a weight penalty so that they can get the 76 so now that they can get in the m100 they can get the 70 uh, 76 seats in two class configuration which is extremely important uh, type of thing from a cost uh, from a cost perspective uh, in operating uh, operating their aircraft yeah uh, and that, that of course is in the u.s market because of these scope clauses right that's why we're aiming for this two and a half class uh, 76 with a few um, one, two business class seats, well, domestic first class seats up front, then a bit of extra legroom, then regular economy down the back. Because, John, it, it is the rough statistic is that the regional jet market globally is that is it 60 percent is constant, 60 or 70 percent is in North America. And then the rest of it, the rest of the world only makes up, the, you know, 40 to 30 to 40 percent. Is that rough? Am I off on that? Um, I've heard something similar. Um <laughs> there's there's something of a of a game of playing with the risk map to make that uh, to make that work um but but yeah no i can i can i could see that it it look it is certainly at this point the most important market um the question is of course you know do we have enough uh new generation 100 seaters that's um where the sweet spot is for the rest of the world, or has the market, has the production market, been so focused on meeting the existing, largely American demand, that it's ignored the rest of the world's demand? Right? It's it's right. it's it's this kind of if you build it, they will come thing, which um, Boeing is also playing out with the NMA right now. Yeah, um, no yeah. one's entirely sure how big the market stimulus will be from having an aircraft that can do this stuff. Yeah, it's it's. <laughs> it's a different it's different changing times and then plus you have technology as as we both know has marched on uh you know can battery technology improve enough so that you can have a, an electric powered regional jet um you know um you know airbus and you know uh, some of the other startup companies have done you know a smaller aircraft you know, we're talking the the 10 seater to uh, uh 10 to you know let's just say 10 to 30 seats and stuff is kind of the market that they're testing that battery uh, battery technology right now. And, you know, or can we do a hybrid, you know, which Royals Royce ended up at the Paris air show, bought Siemens electric thing. Can we, uh, can we scale that up and stuff to, to the, like to, uh, to about the hundred air, hundred seat aircraft market. Can, can that work for that successfully? And, uh, you know, this decade we'll find out type of thing if, if that can go. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Mitsubishi has made it with the, you know, 
you know, has gone with the, the GTF engine and uh, from Pratt and Whitney and so far and stuff that that has worked well for them. Yeah, I mean, look, I think that there's certainly a very strong market niche that Mitsubishi is going to be dominating, right, which is this sub 100 up to 100 seater where Embraer, you know, really doesn't have a, you know, uh, an E2 generation answer to this problem, right, because they're not making an E170 E2. The E175 E2 is out of weight in terms of the scope clause. Um, and the the larger two are, are obviously um, too big. Um, and this is the you know, this is this is a fascinating thing. Um, now, of course, the the <laughs> the way that the M one hundred, which is the new version, the small American sized regional jet one, the new MRJ seventy, um, is a little bit bigger, but um, crucially, to make the weight numbers work, they can't fill up the gas tank. Correct. Right. So that yep. inherently reduces the rate. Now uh, it reduces the the, the range um, in conjunction with the weight. Now that I find really interesting because what that inherently means is that if in a wider pilot's discussion, um, what Mitsubishi was you know, uh, hoping for for quite some time was that there would be a change to the scope clauses. Um, but if in some wider pilot's discussion, one or more airlines is able to say, well, actually, you know what, maximum takeoff weight, excluding fuel, say right if that's what they give then suddenly you can have these planes flying a lot more a lot longer routes because the actual the range of these aircraft is actually quite impressive um, yes it is. you know I mean, what, what what's the official um maximum range that we're looking at on the uh on the m100 and m90 do you have that to hand no i, I don't but i remember i looked at a map uh that's what i'm trying to get right now there was a map showing like uh, a center pointing uh Denver uh, as kind of the center and stuff, and in a right. big circle showing up, and you can fly to like the New Mexico City, as far north as almost to British Columbia, or the northern end, almost to the Yukon. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it can turn into a really good regional. Uh, uh, you know, you, you almost in a sense have a coast to coast in North America uh, range aircraft. Uh, right, for doing, and that's the really interesting thing. It's the that I because that's that's one of the maps that I'm thinking of as well. Now that map, if memory serves, is the maximum takeoff weight constrained range, which Correct. is something like sixteen hundred, seventeen hundred nautical miles, if memory serves. Don't quote me yeah. on that. Um, but the actual you know range of the aircraft is, if I want to say it's something, it's you could almost do coast to coast U.S. from either coast, right? Yeah. Um, not entirely, but almost. Um, and that starts getting really interesting. If if you're well, look, if you're a new startup airline, um, obviously that's you know that's that's irrelevant. But if you're someone like um, uh, American or Delta or even Alaska, right? Alaska is undergoing a number of changes right now. If Alaska can renegotiate its um, uh, you know its 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 discussions around the, uh, the around the scope clause that they have. Um, you know they're obviously the smallest, so potentially they have the most wiggle room, as it were. They could do any number of really interesting things around. Well, okay, wh- how much further can we reach for a long and thin market from uh, from our West Coast operations, right? What does that change um, in terms of Alaska being able to fly out of more of the Southern Californian small airports, right? The ones, the small airports that love quiet planes, small planes have lots of you know real housewives of very rich county. Um, type flyers 
who are, you know, a lot of the people that, that, that the airlines really want to attract. Um, there's all sorts of interesting stuff that, that, that can come out of um, the decisions about the way that Mitsubishi has done this. Um, and I find it fascinating. Yeah, because, uh, yeah, I'm looking at the other map. The other, you know, I, have the, I, find, I found the Denver map and then I'm looking at the Paris map and you can fly almost a great, you can fly to the east coast of Greenland and to the south, uh, to the south part of uh, Li- Libya. Uh, from that standpoint, uh, from from this map, and as you can cut, you go to the Ukraine, uh, you can almost go to the east. Uh, it looks like you can almost fly to Georgia. Yeah, uh, is that uh, the M one hundred? This is the MRJ nine, uh, MRJ ninety, and the MRJ seventy map. I'm looking at. I'm not. Yeah, these right. are the older map a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, because the 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 elephant in the room, and you know, <laughs> very small, very cute elephant, but it is a large elephant, right? Um, the MR the the <laughs> we're going to use again. The M ninety is the same as the old MRJ ninety. The M one hundred is slightly bigger than the uh, MRJ seventy, but still smaller than the M ninety. Correct. The obvious thing that they're looking at next, and indeed they were discussing it. Um, at Paris is there is a hundred seater coming, yes. Um, which makes all the sense in the world. If you're going to have this new geared turbofan engine, you of course want to put it on a slightly larger aircraft just because of the of the efficiencies of the of, of weight and scale efficiencies, right? And so that starts getting very very interesting. Um, you know, I it seems to me that part of the commercial deal that Mitsubishi has to do at this point is to say that anyone who's ordered either an MRJ70 or an MRJ90, which would you like? Would you like M100s, North American market? Or who knows? You know, I may be wrong, and there may be a market somewhere in the world that is very interested in a 75-seater. That has not generally been the case. Um, If you're going to fly that anywhere else in the world, you're probably going to be flying a turboprop. But it may well be the case, right? I, I, I would not rule it out. But I yeah, think then we'll the, be the you know operating efficiencies between you know that MRJ is competing with ATR and and uh, De Havilland now uh, for for that kind of size market, if you will. Yeah, um, I can I just as an aside, can I just say how much I love that we have De Havilland back? It's it's like some sort of something has come to life out of a history book. Yeah, I, I, I'm totally with you and stuff on the De Havilland part. Uh, I got to uh, go up lat or. Last or two months ago, I got to go up to Viking Air, and you know the the of the uh, the company that that acquired, in, in a sense, acquired the De Havilland Company, uh, Longview Aviation Capital, is the kind of the official name. But uh, uh, you know, when they bought that back uh, from from Bardier, uh, it was you know it, it's just like yes, we got something with a legacy, you know, back you know that from from that air, you know, Boeing's you know celebrated its centennial uh, this year is Embraer and Airbus celebrating its centennial, but. Uh, you know, De Havilland is, you know, it's over a hundred year old name, I believe, and stuff as well. Not De Havilland yeah. Canada, I believe, was founded in nineteen twenty eight, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. But you know, De Havilland, I mean, we go back to to you know the first jet aircraft. Uh oh, absolutely. first jet passenger. I mean, you know, this is incredible stuff. Um, you know, and 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 all the way, you know, the some of the De Havilland legacy in the UK is now obviously a big part of Airbus. Um so yeah, absolutely fascinating, fascinating historical stuff. And, but but and there's but, and there is, is something else connected with De Havilland is that Mitsubishi Heavy, uh, Heavy used to work, do fuselages and wings for uh, Bombardier when they bought them. Uh, huh. And then it was to, it was in 2008 when they transferred the uh, the production of that to uh, the, uh, an Evix subsidiary called Shindang uh, uh, to, uh, to to do that. And then and then MHI Canada was the one doing those. And now they just pretty much MHI Canada now just does the uh, 
uh, biz, uh, they do work on the Challenger business jet as well as the global business jet on various yeah. parts of that. Well, for now, I mean, it'll be really interesting to see how Bombardier's business jet uh, family, which, of course, has a lot of commonality with the CRJ family, um, mm-hmm. uh, how that relationship with Mitsubishi uh, changes. You know, do they become best of buddies now that they have a, a shared um, a shared interest there? That'll, that'll be fascinating to see. Well, they, um, they did have a very shared, you know, in the night when they start, when they launched the global uh, Mitsubishi, MHI Canada was the tier one supplier uh, partner and stuff, if you will, because they didn't want to have all the risk. Uh, Bombardier didn't want the sole risk. So Mitsubishi stepped in and was the big, big tier one supplier and stuff for that program. And it's been a big success, uh, you could say, and so the whole global program has been for Bombardier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so look, uh, as, as, back to our sheep, as we say in France. Um, here we have this, this you know, the, the uh, M90, uh, which is going to be produced as, as I suspect, what it will end up being is JAL and ANA will take what they've ordered um, and that will be fine, right? That's a, that's a useful size in between their turboprop operations, between their small regional jet operations, well, their small medium-sized regional jet operations, um, and their narrow-body operations, right? Their, their 737 and uh, A320 ops, right? That will, that, those will fit into their fleet somewhere, and there is a much wider political obligation for them to, to take these aircraft, Right. Um, so I think I think that, you know, those those will be delivered. It would very much surprise me, Isaac, if any other M90 was delivered. Yeah. I, I, now, in North America, I would agree. With, I completely agree with you. I, I just don't see the MRJ 90 or M, excuse me, M90 now uh, space jet uh, to be uh, sold outside uh, in North America. However, in other world markets, I could see it working. Um, but the, the other thing too, that with this whole kind of reset and rebranding that Mitsubishi has had, uh, since most of the North American market is probably going to be purchasing the M100 is that Mitsubishi is exploring right now, setting up a second assembly, uh, second final assembly line here in North America. And specifically they have hinted at it will be in the United States, uh, People had said, you know, when they bought the CRJ uh, line, that they would, you know, they would buy the line there and convert it. That's not going to happen. Um, Montreal is, uh, excuse me, Mirabel, Montreal, Quebec area and stuff is just going to be a support network. Uh, and then you have MHI Canada that will probably be heavily involved uh, in providing parts for the M100 once it, uh, once a new factory to, uh, a location can be found here in the United States. Um, Two months ago, Mitsubishi uh, Aircraft set up a new corporate headquarters here in in Renton, uh, just literally within a half a mile from Boeing Commercial Aircraft's headquarters. So in a sense now, Boeing uh, Renton now is like the new Toulouse uh, in the <laughs> fact that, you know, Toulouse has – it's not the perfect comparison because – Airbus is an you know 50% investor in ATR. However, you have two independent aircraft manufacturers there in Toulouse, and now we have the same in Renton, Washington, with two you know with two aircraft uh, manufacturers based there. Um, so you know we'll see and stuff where in, where in the United States the M100 is actually uh, a second line and stuff where it is built. So yeah, and, that'll be really interesting. I mean, obviously there's a large amount of aerospace. Um, expertise within the Washington, um, particularly the, the sort of um, Seattle area. But, you know, Boeing has been, you know, moving away from that for quite some time on the basis of cost. Um, not always hugely successfully in terms of quality, of course. Um, 
but you know i could i could certainly see questions being asked about whether or not it makes sense to um to to put uh put it away from the west coast um that said if you're going to ship sub assemblies from japan um you kind of probably want to locate it somewhere on the west coast so i could see the los angeles area um i think there is still enough space there for um it, from the old Lockheed, from the old Douglas, and indeed there's a lot of that sort of uh, tier one supplier activity down um, in and around that kind of LAX area. I could see something. I could see you know your Bur- Burbank, your Palmdale, um, you know one of those sort of uh, those area, uh, maybe even a little bit inland, right? Um, I could see that being an option. Um, but yeah, it's 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 fascinating to think of. You know, if you're Mitsubishi, where do you build in the US if you want to be in the US? Um, and and right now in the next decade, kind of a, a bigger picture type of thing, there is now potentially four independent aircraft program final assembly lines in play now for states in the United States to go for. Yeah, the, the big one, of course, everybody wants to get is the Boeing new middle aircraft mid mid market aircraft. That's the big one. Every, you know, everyone's trying to get. Uh, then you know Mitsubishi now is doing with the M100. The other two are kind of uh, something that kind of Europe has stepped away from is Arion and Boom Technologies, both with their SSTs. Uh, they both want to get the, their final assembly lines uh, in operation by the end of the end of the decade. So there, there's you know. Well, that's next there, year, isn't it? <laughs> next day, yeah, 20, yeah, twenty. What I mean, not not twenty twenty, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, sorry. This this never fails to 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 make me laugh. I'm like, oh yeah, next decade. Oh wait, that's yeah. What do we mean? Do we mean the actual next? Yeah. Um, look, I mean, I this supersonic thing for me is uh, come back and talk to you when you have an engine. Right? Yes. Um, but well, that's you know, specifically with the one manufacturer being Boom. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what I find really interesting about this is, um, of course, all of these states vying will, of course, have to give these massive subsidies out. I mean, what was that? There was a figure, an absolutely astounding figure on the Washington state subsidies alone that Boeing received for one single program, yes. um, which, you know, back we go to WTO, <laughs> which will be yeah. which is fascinating. So I, I will be very interested to see, and it will, be, it, will be very, it will be a harbinger of where Mitsubishi sees the market, but whether or not they do indeed operate a final assembly line in the United States. Um, I think they will because they want to operate on the U.S. dollar. Um, and it's also does, it is there that much currency fluctuation between the dollar and the yen? Um, I think it's from a stable market that that's what they want. And as much as there's most of their suppliers, uh, uh, most of their suppliers being in the United States and stuff as well, uh, they just want that stability. Yeah, yeah, I can, I can see the argument, right? Um, but at the same time, you know, I can also see that actually there is there's a lot of space at that at the old Nagoya airport, right? There's a lot yeah, well, of space that's been cleared near that near yeah, that. Um, the other thing too, that the, the great thing or the kind of the odd thing you could say about Mitsubishi is why didn't Mitsubishi follow the example of Honda? And you're going Honda Jet set up a, their whole aircraft uh, Honda uh, Honda aircraft is based out of North Carolina almost a complete section. I mean, they, they source supplies and stuff from Japan, but they set up the whole thing. What if Mitsubishi didn't set up a final assembly line in Nagoya and instead set it up over here, yeah, somewhere in the United States? Would it well, still be considered Japanese? 
No, I don't think it would. I yeah. think that a, a lot of the a lot of the purpose of the program, from a from a sort of Japan Inc. perspective, is to be able to produce a commercial aircraft in Japan, um, which is why I'm a little bit bearish on there being a final assembly line elsewhere, um, especially since Japan is outside this sort of US plus Canada slash US plus EU. Um, slash all three of them fight about aircraft subsidies at the moment. Um, yes. I also think politically, um, Japan is exceedingly good at keeping those good relations going. I mean, Very if you had to, <laughs> you know, if, if whatever we might think of the current uh, set of people in the White House, I think it has to be said that Shinzo Abe, um, the, the, the Japanese leader, has Minister. probably done the best uh at managing um the chaos <laughs> um and, and right yep so i think that yeah so i think that, that that certainly there's less pressure than there would be for a bombardier or for an airbus to produce in the us um and i think there's a lot of domestic pressure for them to build this thing in japan now that said if demand goes through the roof, they will need to build it somewhere, right? Do they want to put all of their eggs in a Nagoya basket? Just from a business continuity perspective, given that, you know, Japan has, has earthquakes and other natural disasters, it's probably a good idea to, to spread that out. Just as, the, just as how the Dreamliner thing was spread out, because it was the right. same thing that for it, when that was, they opened up South Carolina. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, you know, partly that, but partly price, right? So well, I, yes, I think, yes, you know, I absolutely. mean, if you if you undercut your union labor, um, yeah, yeah, that's that that makes good price sense, even if it makes terrible sense in terms of quality, and you know, um, you know not leaving bits of plane inside other planes. <laughs> um, yeah. But you know, well, um, unfortunately, Painfield has had that same thing with the tankers finding fod being <laughs> the military yeah. tankers deliver and stuff so it's yeah. not yeah you know, that's a huge slap in the face of the unions up here and they only you know they, themselves as well as the leadership of boeing defense also only themselves to blame for that one right no absolutely um but yeah so it's 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 fascinating to think about how this program will evolve right and and to um you know i think that the smart money is on the being this sort of 100 seater m200 kind of aircraft um one <laughs> one of my favorite hypotheticals in this is what the um, three-digit aircraft code is going to be, given that M90 and M10 are both already taken. Yeah, by, by the MD90 and then the um, the MD10, which is the re-flight-decked cargo version of the uh, DC10. So I don't know what they're going to call this thing in terms of those, those, those all-important three uh, three letters and numbers. Um, but it'll be interesting to see the the yes. Uh, uh, MS9, MS1, I, I don't know. It'll be, it'll be fascinating to see. Um, well, if you still go with the MS, then you're, you're then you're confusing with the Russians, you know, with the uh, MS21. Yep, yep. Um, and you can't do SJ because then you start getting in, in with the Sukhoi Superjet. Yep, um, yep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, who who knows? Who knows? Um, <laughs> but look, you know, the future for this jet to me looks incredibly bright, right? They they seem to have got the program turned around and aimed in the right direction. Yes. Um, at that point, I think the strength of Japanese industry is just manufacturing the darn things, right? Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, 
And I will say and stuff that I'm really glad that they actually did do the space uh, did did do the rebrand. Now some people will say it's space. What the heck does it have to do with space above sixty you know sixty miles above the above the Earth? And obviously the rebrand is about space inside the aircraft, not space above us. Right. But yeah. Um, but you know from you know for me you know keeping track of the program from a news perspective, this the space jet name has been fantastic it's so much easier to find news now using your various search engines or whatever type of thing to find you know to find news articles uh and keep track of the program and stuff with it with this unique name versus you could say mr j you know, mrj <laughs> right you yeah know, that, that that's the problem stuff i've had and stuff you know keeping track of what's going on in japan from a language perspective and it's so much easier now with the with the new rebranding well, exactly. And also, it does what it says on the tin, right? It is a spacious jet. Um, yes. And it, and it puts some clear blue branding water between um, the, you know, the old tiny tube regional jets, right? The, the little Embraers and the, and the CRJs. Yes. Um, you know, that, that if, you're, if one of your key competition is a turboprop that is known for not having space, I would mm-hmm. absolutely call the, the other thing the thing that is not that thing, <laughs> right? Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I think that look between the 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 they're ready for industrialization. They've got the suppliers lined up. Um, they've got a good blend of suppliers, right? They've not all put they've not put all their eggs in one basket. Um, yeah, that, that's you know, what I was worried about with Safran leaving. You know, the, uh, the or Zodiac previously had signed up for the interiors, and you know, it, you know, if it gets Collins, that's you know with the you know what's called you know with rock uh, you know uh, with uh, UTC now merging with Raytheon. I mean, they're. <laughs> Mitsubishi is really uh, kind of on a small side, you know, not from a price perspective on supply on a supply network. They're on the weekend right now, uh, yeah. just because they have yeah. finances to come to, uh, right. you know, to well, push back. You know, well, if I, you I, have to prioritize one of your customers and one of them is Airbus or Boeing and the other one's Mitsubishi, you know, <laughs> which one yeah. are you can prioritize. I know, yeah. and, you know, I know I bang the drum about super suppliers all the time. And we have some really interesting stuff moving um, uh, around Run Regal Network on the RGN premium side around this as well. Um, but yeah, look, MRJ has done very good well, well to spread this risk. Um, you know, this new cabin is a step change. You know, it's just amazing. Just the, the look and the feel there in the market for new seats as well, um, which would be great. That will, you know, increase the amount of personal space because the seats that they have been showing have been relatively old existing seats, right? Which was, they want to still be able to offer that, of course, because there'll be lots of airlines who appreciate the fact that, you know, these are not new seat technologies that they have to figure out. But yeah, they're, they're going out on seats and, and saying, you know, what can we do inside this um, pleasantly large tube uh, yep. to, 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 you know, make a, a really interesting passenger experience. And, and go back to go back to that and stuff with the seating. Um, the seats are, I believe, where Heathcom was the original company, and they're based up in here in Bellingham, Washington. And then they got bought by Zodiac, so they right. kind of Zodiac inherited the uh, uh, the interior pro- program and stuff from that. Yeah. Um, kind of going back to the factory thing I said about setting up a factory, it might not be an actual final assembly line too that they build here, but they could do what what Boeing has done in Shanghai, is that they could still build the planes in Nagoya. And then fly them over here to the, you know, let's just say, you know, to Washington and stuff, for example, to a completion center, and they do the final livery painting and the interiors here, and then it's shipped out to a customer. Mitsubishi yeah. has option and stuff as well. Right, and that's always been the Airbus model for 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 some of their larger aircraft or anything that needs a specialization. Right, things fly green up to Hamburg, get outfitted with the with the complex cabins up there, and then off they go. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's it's. 
Um, it's, just a, it's, it's a very much a watch this space, and it's a fascinating space to be watched, isn't it? Absolutely. Well, let's leave today's conversation there. Um, listeners, we certainly hope you enjoyed it, and we're always keen to find out what you think. Please feel free to email me at john at runwigonetwork.com with any suggestions. Now, thanks to our guest, Isaac Alexander. Isaac, tell us where we can continue the conversation with you online. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, or LinkedIn at the moniker Jet City Star. Fabulous. And as ever, you can find me on Twitter at ThatJohn and everything from RGN on Twitter at RunwayGirl and at RunwayGirlNetwork.com. If you're enjoying these conversations, please leave a rating and a review wherever you get your podcasts. And thanks for listening. <laughs>